my name's Steve. I'm the senior minister here at Summy Hill Church, and it's really great to have you here with us this Sunday evening. It's pretty hot. If you get uh, pretty overwhelmed with the heat during uh, the course of this evening, please don't hesitate just to jump up. There's glasses over there. It's cold water. Um, at least it's cold at the moment, so you might want to get it early on. Um, please don't hesitate to do that if that makes it more comfortable. Uh, it'll be really good if you have your Bibles open to chapter 3 and 4. There's a lot in the passage, uh, so we won't get through every little detail. Um, as we often do, we will have a question time at the end of the service, if there are any questions that you guys have to ask. There's a QR code on the back of your service sheet down the bottom of the page, and you can scan that and submit questions anonymously. Um, and if some do come through, uh, I'm more than happy to have a crack at answering those a bit later. Well, last week we saw that Ruth the Moabite, the despised outsider, the one who wasn't an Israelite, sought refuge under the protective wings of Israel's God. And in so doing, she just so happened to find herself in the fields of Boaz, who not only had pity on her as a widow, but also extended to her the kind of care that you would normally only expect to receive if you were actually part of his own household. Now, this kindness of Boaz was an act of grace. It was an undeserved kindness that he showed. And it's a kindness that astonished Ruth, and it even began to dispel Naomi's ingrained bitterness. You might remember that Naomi was the Israelite who had walked away from God, gone to live in Moab, and had brought back with her a Moabite, someone who was ignorant of God. And this act of kindness from Boaz astonished Ruth, and it began to soften Naomi's bitterness towards God as she returned in the midst of her own trials and difficulty. But the truth is, Boaz's generosity simply isn't going to be enough to sustain Ruth and Naomi indefinitely. At best, it was just a temporary solution to these deep anxieties that these two women were struggling under. After all, Ruth could only gather food from Boaz's field during harvest time, and harvest time was just about to come to an end. Ruth and Naomi would need far more than just seasonal handouts if they were to ensure their long-term survival. And Naomi's response to this precarious situation is laid out there for us in the opening verses of chapter 3. Uh, have a look with me, chapter 3, uh, and I'll read for us just verses 1 to 4 to begin with. Responding to the situation of dire need, we read chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, he is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Lipstick, alluring clothing, plenty of alcohol. I mean, it's not quite as seedy as that, but that's the kind of vibe that is being given off here with Naomi's advice to Ruth. 
it's clear that Naomi's solution to their problem is to seduce the unsuspecting Boaz. Mind you, uncovering someone's feet in the middle of night while they're sleeping doesn't really seem to be a very alluring course of action. Normally get you a, a little bit of a kick or a nudge or a, a reaction of annoyance. But it's clear that this move of uncovering someone's feet is intended as a proposition for sex. In fact, we find it in other parts of the scriptures described in exactly the same way. Isaiah 57, if you want to look that up later on, uses this same sexualized language to describe the indecent, illicit advances of Israel approaching the gods of their pagan nations. It's an invitation to an illicit relationship that is being carried out here, that Naomi is recommending. In fact, Naomi's questionable plan reminds me of a very similar situation described in the book of Genesis earlier on. About 800 or so years earlier than the events that we're reading in this passage, another woman just like Ruth had found herself without a husband or a son to care for her in her old age. And her solution to her anxiety and her real desperate need was to get her own father drunk so that she could seduce him and conceive a child who might look after her in her old age. And from this lady, that lady described in Genesis, was descended the entire nation of the Moabites, which you'll remember just happens to be Ruth's own ethnicity. Out of our anxiety for future security, it looks like Naomi's plan, even though she's an Israelite, Naomi's plan for Ruth is to trick Boaz into getting her pregnant, just as Ruth's own Moabite ancestors had once done. And that's so often how anxiety misleads us, isn't it? It tells us powerful lies that God isn't properly attentive to us, to the situation we're in, to the kind of needs that we are faced with, and that disobedience, or perhaps taking matters into our own hands, is the only way, maybe the best way, to secure peace, stability, and security for ourselves. It's not a new temptation. It's not a temptation that's gone away. The thing is that it turns out Ruth doesn't go all the way with Naomi's suspiciously Moabite plan. The Israelite suggests acting like a Moabite, but the Moabite acts far more like a righteous Israelite. Have a look with me at verse 8 from chapter 3. Uh, we, we see that Ruth does almost everything that Naomi says. Uh, she goes to the, um, to the uh, threshing floor. Actually, we'll start in verse 7, uh, and we read here where things pick up. Verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain place. Grain, grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Rather than simply going and uncovering Boaz's feet and waiting for him to tell her what to do, Ruth asks him to take specific action. 
spread your garment over me. Bit of a strange request, isn't it, given the circumstances? But this isn't simply a request from Ruth, you know, for a bit more of the blanket or the bed covers. Literally, Ruth is saying, spread your wings over me. It's exactly the same phrase that Boaz had used in the previous chapter, chapter 2, when he commends Ruth's righteousness for seeking shelter under the expansive wings of Israel's God. And Ruth is taking that commendation from Boaz earlier on and asking him to back that up in his actions now with her. And notice the reason that Ruth is asking Boaz for protection. It's because he's her guardian redeemer. A guardian redeemer is a close relative who is expected to look after the widows in his family, even pay their way out of trouble if they found themselves in financial or social distress or difficulty. Sometimes that even meant as going as far as marrying the widow to guarantee her future security. And that's what Ruth is here asking of Boaz. Ruth is acting out the instructions that Israel's scriptures would direct her to do, rather than following the Moabite-like advice of her own Israelite mother-in-law. And as it turns out, Boaz seems pretty happy with this marriage proposal. And at first, it looks like the story is pretty much swiftly on its way to wrapping up with a happy ending before we even get to the end of chapter 3. But of course, there's a catch... The story takes a twist and we find that there's an unexpected problem, a barrier in the way of Ruth's request of Boaz. You see, there's another guardian redeemer who is actually a closer relative to Ruth than Boaz is. And the responsibility to look after a widow, well, that fell to the widow's closest relative. And so Boaz can't accept this righteous proposal that Ruth has laid before him. Perhaps Ruth would have been maybe better off just attempting to seduce Boaz as Naomi had suggested all along. And yet Boaz does have a plan. It's a pretty cunning plan at that. Boaz organises an official meeting at the city gate and invites the other relative, the other guardian redeemer, the legitimate guy, to come along and to meet him there. Have a look with me at chapter 4, verse 1. We'll see Boaz's plan beginning to take shape in those opening verses of chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am the next in line. Whenever property, uh, when it, sorry, whenever poverty forced a widow to sell their bit of the promised land, 
It was the responsibility of the closest relative, the guardian redeemer, to buy back that land for the widow's family. She was in distress, in difficulty, she sells the land to get money to help herself. Then the rest of the family were responsible for eventually buying it back for her to redeem it for her, to make sure the land was kept within the family. And it seems that the other guardian redeemer is interested in playing his part in this deal. And the truth is, that's hardly surprising. You see, Naomi had returned home from Moab to Israel with no living children. So once she was dead and out of the picture, the land would become his permanently. Land was a precious item. In Israel, difficult to get extra land. It normally was divided up and belonged to families indefinitely. This was an opportunity not to be passed up. This is the kind of deal he likes and so he accepts. But Boaz realises that this man is more interested in just helping himself than he is actually interested in helping Naomi in her plight. And so Boaz brings up a second matter for discussion. He leaves this till a little bit later on in the negotiations. Have a look with me at verse 5 of chapter 4. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Suddenly the deal doesn't look so good to this relative, to this guardian redeemer. And he starts to backpedal. The guy wanted the wealth, but without the responsibility of protecting these helpless women and fostering the line of his dead male relative. You see, the law of Israel stated that if this man was to marry Ruth and have a son with her, then legally he would never get to own the land at all. Ruth's son would own it instead of him. He would spend all of his own money trying to redeem Naomi's land for his own family, but he himself ultimately wouldn't profit a cent from this rather expensive deal that he would be forced to pay out on. And so the guy says, yeah, I pass, not for me. And once the relative taps out of his duty as the guardian redeemer, Boaz and Ruth are now free to marry. Boaz has fulfilled the promise that he made earlier on in the book to secure Ruth's future for her and Naomi's future as well. The marriage between Boaz and Ruth means that Naomi's land stays securely in the family. They're no longer poor or poverty-stricken. Boaz marries Ruth. She's no longer a destitute foreign outsider widow. God gives Ruth and Boaz a son. She's no longer childless. Naomi is now a grandmother. She is no longer bitter. Boaz not only redeems Ruth from poverty, Boaz also redeems Ruth for a wife. And in the closing verses of the book of Ruth, we learn that Boaz and Ruth the Moabitess are the great-grandparents, ultimately, of Israel's greatest king, King David. And of course, King David's greatest descendant turned out to be the Lord Jesus himself. There's a whole host of women actually mentioned in this last part of chapter 4, not only Ruth, but Tamar as well, and a few others. 
If you want to know just how significant they are to understanding the line of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus' own heritage, then you might go back online and look to the sermon that we did just before Christmas, where we worked through some of Matthew's gospel, which explains just the surprising place that these women play in Jesus' own line and heritage. But not only is the story of Ruth and Naomi just a beautiful one in its own right, it also movingly parallels the same sort of kindness that God would display to us through the Lord Jesus, ultimately. In his letter to Titus, the Apostle Paul, these words come from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus in words that really do remind us of the kind of character of Jesus, oh, sorry, of Boaz himself. Uh, see if you can notice some of the similarities here from Titus chapter 2. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own. Boaz redeemed Ruth from the crushing burden of poverty and alienation. Jesus redeems us from God's judgment upon our own wickedness. Boaz redeems Ruth from the shame of her Moabite heritage. Jesus redeems and purifies us from the shame that might lurk in the personal backstories of our own lives. But even more than that, just as Boaz redeems Ruth for a wife, so the Lord Jesus does exactly the same for us, his people. He doesn't just redeem us from something, he redeems us for himself as well. Jesus unites himself with us in the kind of intimacy that even husband and wives rarely truly experience. I wonder if you can recall the way in which Naomi had attempted to matchmake Ruth with Boaz. Naomi instructed Ruth to wash, to cleanse herself. Naomi instructed Ruth to dress herself in her most alluring clothing. Naomi instructed Ruth to wait until Boaz was properly drunk before she approached him all in the vain hope that they could trick Boaz into a situation in which he would have to show some kind of kindness to Ruth and Naomi. But it turns out Ruth didn't need to manipulate Boaz into anything. Boaz loves Ruth with his eyes wide open, knowing exactly who Ruth actually is and what marrying her is going to cost him personally. And he does it without hesitation. And even with other excuses to forego his obligation or duty to do so. And friends, that's exactly how the Lord Jesus loves us also. We don't need to somehow prove ourselves pure to Jesus, for he himself will cleanse us. We don't need to dress ourselves in religious fancy dress to distract Jesus from our failings or the private shame of our past. Jesus chooses to settle his loving kindness upon us while he is fully sober to exactly who and what we are. Praise be to the Lord God, who this day has not left us without a guardian redeemer in the Lord Jesus. Someone who will renew us not only in this life, 
but who will sustain us even beyond old age and even beyond death itself to eternal life. If Ruth was blessed to have found a guardian redeemer in Boaz to entrust herself to, how much more has God provided for us in his provision of the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Dearest Father, uh, there are times in which we have wandered away from you, not at all confident that you will ever truly be attentive to us or provide for our needs. There are times in which even having come back, our hearts and our minds grapple with bitterness and a sense of hopelessness for what might be in store for us, even those of us who are members of your household. And yet, Father, in the Lord Jesus, you have provided us with someone under whose wings of kindness we can find eternal and lasting shelter. One who we do not need to trick or to manipulate into giving himself wholly for us, but one who loves us with his eyes wide open and able to make us fitting and worthy members of his own household. Father, we do ask that as we head off this week, it would be joy and delight and perhaps a deepening confidence in that kindness that you've shown us in the Lord Jesus that marks our week that lies ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.